0: Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week we are talking to Sean Barber. Sean has built not just one successful art career, but three. He started in commercial illustration, moved quickly to fine art, and eventually tattooing. What's most notable about this path of progress? is that rather than leave one career behind before forging a new one, he has managed to keep all of them relevant to his professional life and maintains enough contact to be able to rely on each at different times. This means that not only are his income streams flexible and incredibly resilient, but it also allows for an incredibly rich and creative experience. Not only is he not locked into one medium, he isn't locked into one source of income for any given passion. We trace the course of his professional life to learn some lessons about how he did this and what the experience can tell us about diversity in our own careers. Of course, a conversation like this will dip frequently into aspects of balanced outlook and Sean makes some great observations about how he has managed to stay balanced and keep focus on what's important. The resource he cites as one of the most important and influential for his mental health is a book you will find linked in the show notes. So please check that out. Now let's listen. Uh, Let's make it happen, man. Uh, Sean, Sean, Mr. Sean Barber, thank you so much for being with us and giving us some time. uh, As people will soon see, uh, you're a busy dude. So uh, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. Uh,
0: Yeah, so... Let's catch everybody up. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into art?
1: Um, I was born in 1970 in Cortland, New York, central New York. Um, I started drawing as a young child. I was into superheroes. Um, up until I was about 25 years old, I thought that I wanted to be an inker in comics. And my interest in art was driven through an obsession with superheroes. Um, I went to community college out of high school, dropped out after about a year and a half, um, traveled around, went to Alaska, went to Southern California, went back to New York, uh, did lots of different odd jobs, uh, worked construction, worked in food service for many years, um, worked in a factory for about a year and a half, the 11th p.m. to 7 a.m. shift um, that was a uh, it kind of changed my life and I still have those weird hours I think because of that job um, and uh, you know the whole time making art mostly drawing superheroes and then I went back to college in 95 to a private school in upstate New York called Casanova College and was introduced to other kinds of art and different kinds of thinking. And then after two years there, I transferred to art school in Florida, the Ringling School of Art, and um, fell in love with painting. Um, Abandoned comics, completely lost interest in that art form. And um, I don't know, going to museums and being around other artists who were interested in painting the figure changed my life.
0: That's interesting. The comic book thing. Um, I had a very similar trajectory. Comics got me into art. Uh, was obsessed with them, uh, right up until the point that I discovered tattooing, <laughs> and then comics totally went out the window. Yeah. Um, although now I found myself at a point in life where I'm, I feel myself coming back to comics. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it'll ever become like a profession. Well, I know that it won't, but. That art is um, taking hold in a new way. But for you, the the tattooing thing seems to be your your station in life for now after all of the things that you've you've gone through.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, tattooing is something that's been in my life for a long time. Um, I started getting tattooed in 1986. Uh, 16 year old kid got a Spider Man tattoo. And then I got a tribal lizard and then I got a superhero that I drew. And then mid nineties, I started looking at what kind of tattoos were being made. I'm like, Oh, this is an art form and seeking out tattooers who had their own style. um, And started getting heavily tattooed in the late nineties and fell in love with it.
0: So that's interesting that it has been there for you for for so long but you didn't immediately pursue that
1: you know I had a I had a mentor or a friend in high school who was an incredible artist tattooist Brian Bancroft Um, that's what he did and he suggested for years you know you should try this and I was dead set on being an inker in comics Um, but I didn't you know, you, you grew up in a small town and, and you have these passions and you want to pursue them, but you don't know how to do it. And you take whatever steps you think you can to make those happen through sending submissions to comic book companies. And um, in, this is pre-internet. There's no internet. Um, not much happened and I didn't necessarily lose the interest in it, but I knew that I needed to further enhance my art skills. So it's like, why don't I just go back to college? Um, and I had some great teachers and I had a great art teacher in high school. Um, I had some great teachers at Casanova and in I had some great instructors and they opened my mind up to other things outside of just that art form.
0: So when you were in college, You, um, going into that, you knew that like professional illustration, commercial illustration was what you wanted to do at the end point, or did you have an end goal? And then coming out of college, you were kind of like,
1: uh, what do I do? Uh, initially it was still comics and then I wasn't sure. And then stumbling into painting, I, it it clicked It's like, I want to be a painter. I want to document the world around me with painted images. Um, and at Ringling, I was an illustration major and the focus of a lot of instructors and students was, well, how do you make a living? Because we all have to figure out how to pay off these student loans when we get out. Um, I can do, there's two paths really at that time that a lot of friends were doing, actually three paths, uh, editorial illustration, um, working in video games or animation. Um, I don't play video games. I don't really, I like moving pictures, but they don't inspire me. They don't, I don't connect to them in that way. And um, I wanted to be a painter. So how do I continue to hone my craft as a painter? I guess I'm just gonna choose editorial illustration. So, you know, senior year, you're supposed to make a thesis, a body of work, I made two bodies of work, personal work and a portfolio of commercial illustrations, pieces that I thought would make sense to get work doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I just chose, um, you know, musician portraits and stuff like that, something easy, lighthearted, Um, I could practice painting people, um, and I thought that it was a, a relative path to take.
2: So I don't really know too much about, um, editorial illustrations. Would you mind, uh, giving a quick intro to those? Because of all the art fields, that's something I know the least about.
1: Sure. I mean, it's mostly artwork for magazines. Um, at the time, you know, as an illustrator on, in print, you know, and they were saying Prince Dead, the work that you could get would be through magazines, newspapers, billboards, advertising, um, storyboarding for commercials, you know, those kind of things. Um, Doing an illustration for a story with an article, doing book covers, interior illustrations for kids' books, things like that. Uh, And I've done pretty much all of that as an illustrator.
0: When I think of commercial illustration or editorial illustration um nowadays anyway like I I see in my mind like very um like graphic you know like very simple shapes ge- lots of geometric designs uh like graphic design seems to be like a heavy influence on that now when yeah. you were doing it Was that also the case or or, um, secondary to that? Like how far away from like the style that you loved as far as painting was concerned was the type of work that you had to do for you know, the editorial illustration work?
1: Uh, I mean, it was a range of all different styles at the time. I don't know what's happening now, but I, 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 I looked a little bit last night and I think it's about the same. I think you specialize in what you specialize in and then you figure out what markets make sense for that style of work. Um, and at the time I was doing, um, a little bit more caricature style illustrations, um, where it's a big head, little body in a scene. Uh, and after a couple of years into that, I really hated what I was doing. Um, (laughs) it was, it, it was, it it was interesting. Um, I did it for, so I started, my first job was 99. Uh, I graduated in 99. Um, I could talk a little bit about getting that ball rolling. Um, so in college, you know, the teachers at the time were not, they had a, a handful of them had done, had been professional illustrators and had their own careers, but most of them hadn't had much of career anymore because they were full-time teachers, but their knowledge of how to get into the business was from their own perspective. So they had students doing things like everybody has to make four by five slides of your artwork and you have to, you know, do this, this, that, and the other thing to be a professional. And it didn't make sense for 99% of the people to, to do that at the time. Um, other suggestions were make printed portfolios and mail them to art directors and go to, I mean, this is which I did quite a bit of, and go to the bookstore and go through every single magazine and see who uses illustration. What kind of illustration do they use? Write down the art director's name, write down the address, mail them a book if you, if you think your work is something that they might like. And then if you are capable and motivated, go to the cities that these magazines have businesses in and try to set up an appointment with the art director to do a portfolio review. So I did all that stuff. Um, And I think for me in the beginning, the printed portfolios and visiting New York and visiting art directors there was my foot in the door. And also there were two, and this is what I looked up last night because I haven't been on these sites forever. There was two websites that illustrators at the time used outside of those platforms to uh, try to get work. Uh, one is a website called the Alternative Pick, um, A-L-T-P-I-C-K dot And that was a website that it still is that has photographers, illustrators, graphic designers. So it's just an online portfolio. And the other website is called the iSpot, T-H-E-I-S-P-O-T.com. Um, and that just has illustrators. But those sites are a pay-for portfolio that you pay X number of dollars a month or a year. And you can upload as many images. And art directors went to those sites to hire illustrators. Um, and they are I didn't know it, but they're still around. Um, and it's a resource. And it's a... Uh, How do I get into this? Well, this is one way to try to make it happen. Um, For me, it was a mix of that, but really going and meeting people in person and spending the money to, not that I had the money, but, you know, spending the money on a credit card to try to pursue this career that I knew would help me make some kind of living.
0: You said this was late '90s, early two yep. thousand. Yep, and there were like at that point there were all, all there were already websites in place that were yeah like, yeah I, yeah. I, yeah my well, dem-
1: altern- I looked it up. The alternative pick is uh, mid '90s. The iSpot I think was nineteen ninety six.
0: Interesting. I, I have this. I don't know. My recollection of like when the internet happened is so fuzzy. Like even though you know really more, nice. yeah even though like you know more than i don't know half my life was spent like without the internet because it's become yeah. such a dominant force and now it's hard to remember like what was happening like what were people doing
1: sure 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 bef-
0: like before the internet and i i don't know i would have guessed that you were doing all of this um like without the internet so it's it's kind of cool to hear that that was uh early resource and it's still around like now currently you can
1: both those websites are still around and they look pretty affordable to buy a portfolio on there
0: is it just for like uh commercial illustration editorial illustration or would it be relevant to you know people that wanted to do like books or all of it all of it
1: okay yeah maybe not necessarily video games Mm -hmm. um but i think print media and, and video media, I, it, it looks like that. Um, there's also, and I, I pulled out some of these resources, there's um, there's a convention for illustrators called ICON. And that's been around since the late 90s, early 2000s. And they do that once a year where illustrators, illustrators gather together and they have you know, speakers and conversations, and I did that early on. Man, I think two thousand I did it, and I met some amazing artists who, at the time, were doing. You know, we're all on this path of, uh, am I going to pursue commercial illustration? Am I going to be a painter? Um, I met David Cass there at Icon. I met James Jean there. Um, there were. Uh, like a lot of young artists trying to figure out how how, how do you make a living?
0: You um, oh, go ahead.
1: I'm going to grab. Also, at the time, I don't know if you can see this. This is a print book. Uh, the alternative pick put out, where you know it's got pages of you pay for a page in this book, and these books get sent out to art directors. This is the first one I did in, in '99. Uh, and it's just a book with ads of your portfolios and art directors would get this. So you'd pay into this and it would get met, shipped to art directors. Um,
0: that, that's not still around though, right? I bet it is. Oh, wow. Well,
1: <laughs> uh, and then in 2004, so I've been doing illustration for almost four years. I got an agent and I knew a lot of my favorite illustrators were in groups of agencies Where it's, you know, who are the best illustrators in the world doing, you know, the most visible work in the style that you see? And most of those folks had agents and they worked with an agency that had, you know, five to 30 illustrators. Um, And I approached a few agents and I found one in 2004 and it was a great fit at the time. And we worked together until I think about 2016. Um, And this was an ad. From this is my first ad I did with them but you know all of the people in the group were had their own pages Um, another magazine uh, not a magazine a book workbook I don't know if you ever heard of workbook no so this is the same thing as um, the alt pick book you pay for a page uh, this is chocked full of illustrators work, each page is an illustrator's portfolio and you pay the money to get an ad in here and they send these to art directors. And this is how at the time, art directors hired illustrators, one way. You um, know, I have some pages from, from past ones, but I would sift in some of my personal work into these because I was, you know, after a few years into it, I was so tired of doing, um caricature and i told my agent like i'm painting more i'm moving away from this big head little body thing like not it's just not it's not for me and how do you feel about me changing that she's like as long as it's gradual you can do whatever you want um and it you know it that happened and it helped increase my skill set and my speed as a painter because I was doing work that was similar to what I would do in the studio. Um, and I was just happier.
0: I want to get back to that and that sort of like paralleling and then transitioning, but I'm really curious about this working with an agent idea. Um, it's something that in sort of like our circles comes up, but nobody really uses it in the same way that, you know, I'm aware of it being used in like more commercial fields and stuff. Um, but you, you said that you thought that it would be a good idea to get an agent. Like what was it that made you realize that? Like what was happening in your career where you're like, okay, this would be a good move. And also when you found one that was a quote, good fit, what made them a good fit for you?
1: Um, I, would, I was doing more newspaper and magazine editorial work. Um, the work I was getting was good, but it wasn't, I wanted bigger projects and I wanted, uh, I didn't know what was possible. So how do I get other options in work as an illustrator when I'm only getting what I'm getting, if that makes sense. So I thought by joining an agency, she would bring different clients to the table or more clients would see my work because I'm part of an agency. Um, I thought it was a good fit because she didn't have anybody in the group who did what I, what I was doing at the time. You know, and I think with a, a, every agency, when you look at a group of illustrators in a collective, you want to be part of a group that's, in my opinion, um, eclectic, but everybody's great at what they do, and, and that was the case with magnet reps. Um, who was my agent at the time? And does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. certainly the first part. Um, but you said specifically that the person that you ended up working with was a good fit. Was yeah. there something in particular about them as opposed to the range of other agents that you could have worked with? Or was it just that particular agency had um, agents that were good for you?
1: It was, uh, I mean, the owner of, of the agency, Crystal Falcioni, she was great human. And I enjoyed the conversation. And um, I don't know, it, it just made sense.
0: Oh, okay, I see. So it was more like a interpersonal fit rather than like a yeah. business. Like, oh, they can find me the biz kind of b- business that I want.
1: A little bit of both, but okay. you don't know until you start working with an agent. You don't know what to
0: yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. So, I mean, obviously, people still use agents now. Do you have a sense though how the role has changed? in an era where the internet has become so dominant and social media is so much more a part of the the puzzle. um, Is it still like a valuable resource
1: or. I, I would assume so. I mean, I know some folks that are friends that still do a large part of their careers are commercial illustration and they still have agents. So I'm assuming that it's still a good idea. Um, I think for me, the strength of having an agent is, at least in the agent that I worked with, is they are going to try to get the most amount of money for you with with the contract that protects you the most. And as an illustrator starting out, you might not know any of those things. Um, How do you know what the value of a job is for a newspaper Compared to Rolling Stone, compared to the TED conference, which I've done work for, all of those things, you know, um, an agent will help you and guide you, and facilitate the best, hopefully, you know, the best financial outcome in those situations, and give you help, help, give you reasonable deadlines and. You know, there there are go, a go-between to make it so you're spending your time doing the art for the publication, and they're spending their time dealing with the paperwork.
2: But when it came to the bottom line, um, did you make more money after you had hired an agent, or was their cut so, so substantial that it ended up equaling out?
1: I made more money because I was much busier. Um, I think, and I might be wrong, but I believe my agent's cut at the time was 30%. Which is a lot of money. Yeah. You that's where we, we know, we know what percentages are in giving them to the businesses we work for. Um, you know, if you work with a gallery, most galleries take 50%, which I've been doing since 2001, you know, and, it is what it is, you know. You, you, you have somebody that's helping you with your business, they're, you have to pay them for their efforts, and their efforts hopefully get you to a place that you want to be. And both parties succeed.
0: I imagine you were finding uh higher paying work as well. Like, yeah. if they're going to take 30%, then obviously they want to find you work that is you know, going to make you money and them money as well.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, I would assume that maybe, and I could be wrong. The agent is also fishing for work they're like, well, you're not busy right now. Let me contact some of these people and see if I can get you some work.
0: Yeah. That this idea of, um, advocacy for artists has come up a lot. Um, one thing that we talk a lot about, on this podcast is pricing, self worth, trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> what your what your art is worth in the market sure. when you don't really have too many ways of going about uh, figuring that out. You mentioned that agents can play a, a role in that. Um,
1: there, there's a resource for illustrators. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of the graphic artists guild handbook to pricing and ethical guidelines. That's the Bible for a commercial artist. Um, it gives you every two years they update it and it gives you um, pricing for any market you can think of print media, uh, digital media. Um, it's got contracts in there. It's got model release forms. It has copyright law information. Um, that, book any artist who's trying to do anything commercially you should buy that book because it'll give you more answers than you have questions
2: the feedback i've gotten from artists with that book is they don't believe the prices are real that anyone is actually paying that amount of money for the uh i guess they're being used to being lowball so they, when they see the book saying that you paid $5,000 for this uh, cover or something like that, sure. they, they're thinking, I only get 1000 for that.
1: Well, I mean, the pricing in that book, it shows different prices for different um, clients. So say it's a cover for a magazine. If it's a cover for a regional magazine as opposed to Time magazine, this, the pricing for that cover is going to be significantly different. So it depends on the client you're working with. Um, they have different budgets.
0: Uh, another aspect of that that I was thinking of um, was this idea of unions. you know there's there's places in the art world where unions exist uh, more in the sort of commercial zones of like animation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to my knowledge, there isn't anything like that for the illustration field
1: well oh, the graphic um, artist field that's 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 that, so a, that
0: is it okay yeah and
1: there's also you know there's the society of illustrators in new york um that's a, a building where illustrators congregate but it's a resource to go and meet folks and ask questions and and get insight and um, there's events there. There's also that illustration conference. I mean, that's where you're going to engage in being part of a community. I think everything is community. If you're not part of a community, you're not doing yourself a disservice, but you're, you could be doing more if you're not happy and you don't have the kind of work you want. You have to spend the money to make the money. And I definitely believe that. And you have to, depending on what you're doing, you have to travel to uh, engage in your progress.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, so unquestion, uh, Undoubtedly, unquestionably, the idea of community um, is a must-have. Uh, that's another thing that we always uh, push for and talk about here as well um but aside from a sense of community or you know a network of peers do those organizations also play a role of like buffer between um you know potential clients and illustrators to make sure that illustrators are being fairly compensated and that they're being you don't know has fair compensation i
1: I would would assume that the graphic artists Guild is a part of that, and I would assume that the agencies that have been around a long time that are, um, that have some of the more successful and wider used illustrators are a part of that conversation.
0: Has fair compensation ever been a battle for you?
1: Um, at times, sure. Um, I, I, I'm a producer. I like to be productive. Um, I make a lot of, I make a lot of pictures. Um, I, I have a, I have a list I've made 616, no 1,676 paintings in 24 years. Um, so I make work.
0: That's a lot.
1: And sometimes I do it for free. Sometimes I do it for a lot of money. Sometimes I make gifts for friends. Sometimes I uh, get 100%, you know, value of something outside of a gallery. It's, it's a range of all those things. I think it's, you know, you, you, once you have your kind of pricing structure, pricing structure as a fine artist, you start there and then as you Continue to sell work and sell out things, and you can raise your prices. Um, for me, my prices have been as a fine artist; they've been the same for about fifteen years, um, and I'm cool with that. You know, I make a decent living. Um, can't complain.
0: That's interesting that they've they've been the same. I I don't know. Why the idea of inflation is is it's a hangup for me in that like there's no there's no adjustment for inflation.
1: <laughs> well, you know I've worked with uh, all different kinds of galleries and I was re- I had a, two specific galleries that I showed with for exclusively for a long time, one of them in San Francisco, one of them in New York, the one in San Francisco. Uh, closed down years ago, that gallery director ended up taking advantage of tons of painters and artists and stealing money from them. And uh, that was not a good situation. And then another gallery in New York um, slowly shifted their focus to more abstraction. uh, And then I think two years ago, they closed down. Um, You know, I think for us as fine artists, like it's about making work. And every day it's really about that. And you know, we all want venues to show our work in, but for me, it's about making stuff. And what I'm making is work that's reflective of a community I'm a part of. And um, there's no end to the kind of pictures I can make within the context of this community. So I don't really need anybody from the outside world. I just need to engage in my community and make work and things will fucking work out, you know? I mean, I'm, I've forged that path and that path has been good enough to me. And, you know, um, I pay my bills on time as much as I can. And I mean, I'm not wealthy, I don't own a home, um, but I'm happy.
0: We live in, you live in Southern California, right? Owning a yeah. home there is a little bit tougher.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could, you know, I could focus on saving money more and just me- being a money-making machine, but I'm not driven by that. And to a fault, you know, it's, I don't necessarily have some things that I might want, but I'd rather spend my time painting. And a lot of what I paint, I don't make money doing. I spend hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours on pieces where sometimes I don't make any money and It's okay because I'll spend 20 hours on something else and make some good money. You know, and I've taught since um, the late 90s and I've, you know, I've been tattooing now for 15 years. And I mean, I know we'll get into that. Tattooing has kind of helped balance everything out. You know, the problem for me as an illustrator um, and and the, the advice that I would give to any working artist is uh, you know, most commercial jobs, you do a job, you don't get paid for 30, 60, 90 days after you do a job. And if you're bank, you know, you're waiting for paying your rent for 90 days, like that's a hard way to live. Um, in doing so, you know, I didn't save money for taxes for so many years and it put it put the pressure on me you know like as a working artist you we you know whether you work with cash or not there's a point when you have to deal with taxes um because you can't hide from it and it's always going to be there until you're dead uh and i don't know if your family is liable for that stuff but you know 30% of what you make is going to go to the man (laughs) in some, in some form or another. And if you don't save any of that, you can get buried in a hole pretty deep. Um, and for me, when I started tattooing, the great thing about that as a career and a job is you work, you get paid. There's no waiting. It's a normal job. You know, it's, it's, it's a little frustrating as an, as a, even as a fine artist to have to, you're spending months, maybe years on a piece, and then maybe it sells through a gallery and you're still waiting a few months to get paid. And it's, it's not an easy way to live if you don't save money.
2: One piece of advice I heard a while back was to open a second bank account and then deposit 30% of any income into that bank account and assume it's gone forever. Yeah. Yeah. And then yep, if you end right. up with extra leftover tax season, then great. You have extra money for tax season next year.
1: Yeah. That's a great, great mindset to have. Yeah.
0: You know, I, we definitely will talk about the, the tattooing in a bit. I, but I also want to get a sense of like where the overlaps are. Cause you, you've had like so many things and I would like to get kind of like a overhead picture of like, what was the overlap for commercial illustration, fine art, and then tattooing? Like how did those things, the big picture of how those things all overlapped as far as, was there a time when you were like just doing fine art as your main focus or ha- have they always overlapped in some degree?
1: They're still overlapping. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I was busy putting a show together, I would turn commercial work away. And I I think, you know, down down the road with the agency, I was turning more work away than I should have because I was pursuing painting more and more. And I was so, you know, until 2007, I was doing great as a painter. Then the market crashed and it slowed down. Um, And I'm doing fine, but um, around, you know, late or mid 2000s, I was turning down more commercial work because I wanted, you know, I I've, I've fell, fell into a subject matter with painting that I couldn't, I can't stop doing. And, um, you know, hey, I want to make a living, but I want to paint what I want to paint. Um, but I, you know, I still take on commercial work and I'm happy happy to get it. Um, it's nice to have a balance. I don't mind, The chaos of spinning plates. Um, I like breaking up the monotony of doing the same thing. Um, You know, I've had physical issues over the years, um, which have been real, um, but I've also been fortunate to have a close friend who is a strength trainer, physical therapist, and he's made it so.
2: I can use my limbs. <laughs> so like uh, hand and wrist pain issues And wrist shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That brings up a point of uh, our friend art of Blake. He recently had to file for workman, workman compensation because uh, his hand no longer basically functions to the point where he's in extreme pain when he tries to work. So uh, I guess it's just a point to call out that uh, take care of yourself. Don't press too hard and uh, take plenty of breaks and, uh, stretch, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Stop overworking yourself too. That's I think something that it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, 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 I'm guilty <laughs> oh as well, man. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it it's a slippery slope and one to it's easy to slide onto. Um,
1: it's, it's none, best-
0: nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> we have to say it's we have best- to point family. it out. Um, you said kind of 2001 was when you were getting gallery representation is that right yep. well what was your access points into that what was your process like for starting to find that
1: uh at the time um i was looking at you know low lowbrow pop surrealism but also art in america um but mainly juxtapose magazine um and seeing galleries uh from that perspective um and seeing who who which artists showed at which galleries and and where artists started and where they are now and um considering approaching some of those venues to try to get into group shows and then hopefully you know solo shows multiple person shows all that um I approached it that way. Um, same thing as commercial illustration. Uh, I pulled one out. At the time my um, ex-wife and I made took book bookmaking classes. Um, so we would make, like this is a book, a little book I made, or she and I made, where it's, it's a little portfolio of paintings. And we would send these handmade books. The galleries that I want to show with, um, and I think it made an impact. Um, spending money to make money, making uh, something a little nicer than an itoya plastic book with prints in it um, that has some, you know, hand embellishment to it, and shows that you're serious about your craft. Um, I started there, and I approached a few galleries and it started with group shows and then eventually solo shows.
0: You, one of the things that, uh, struck me about you when I first met you, um, was how down to earth you are. Um, that shouldn't be a surprise in itself. I, but I guess there's always this sort of, I don't want to turn this into a fanboy session, but maybe there'll be like a little bit of that. <laughs> um, you know, when you, when you meet somebody that you like kind of looked up to or, you know, respected, there's a, a kind of this expectation a little bit, you know, that like, uh, you don't know how it's going to go really. Sure, you know, sure. I, and I, and I remember, you know, uh, one of the first times that we ran into each other and you were asking me questions. You're like, you're talking to me, you know? And I'm like, Oh, this dude is really cool. (laughs) Now comparing that to the gallery world, which has this sort of reputation of being kind of snooty and standoffish. And, uh, I guess what I gather from you is that there are places where maybe that's like not such a problem or have you had to navigate that in some way?
1: Um, I think it's, it's, and these are the wrong words to use, but I think it's throwing it against the wall until it sticks. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's being persistent. Um, yeah, there's lots of galleries I've approached that I got no response from. But I, I think, you know, at the time that I really was pursuing fine art, I actively, mo- I moved to San Francisco like I want to be part of this art scene, I, you know. juxtapose is based out of that part of the world. Um, a lot of the artists whose work I like live and show in that city. I need to move there, and that was that's how it started for me. You know, it's taking a chance on your dreams and and pursuing them and being diligent and. Not beating yourself up over the fact that they, it doesn't happen immediately. you know I think it's really rare when it happens out of the gates, you know, And when it does, hopefully you stick to it, you know, and hopefully you're doing something special, and there's a reason why um, you know, you made that kind of impact. Um, you know, unfortunately, the last few years, I've approached some galleries. Locally that I've been friends with and um, Have done group shows with and I've I've looked for local representation and I've sent emails and I've gotten crickets and that It's not disappointing. I think it's is it disappointing. I don't know what it is. It's it's like, all right, well, I guess this isn't the place for me. So it's moving forward and approaching other venues which I've done and you know the pandemic's changed a lot of things um and still kind of in the the middle of that but at the end of the day I'm making work and I'm making in my mind the best work I've made so that's what matters and is
2: there anything that you learned over the um your time working with galleries that Maybe advice you would have given to yourself at the very start of uh, working for them.
1: Um. Hmm. You know, a handful of galleries would would always suggest what to paint, and for the most part, I didn't listen to any of them. <laughs> and you know, I think if I if I did that, I might be more successful. I think I might be selling more pictures Um, you know there's there's a trapping that I see a lot of colleagues and friends fall into whether they're enthusiastic about it or not very happy with it but um, I think a lot of artists fall into a cookie cutter syndrome of a style that they're painting out of a box um, because of the necessity of sales and I have this mortgage, I have this family, I have to make X number of dollars a month. So I have to maintain working this way. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to support my family, you know? And for me, with tattooing and commercial work, it's allowed me to say fuck it and paint the pictures I want to paint. Um, and to me, that's important. Um, obviously, I paint things for commerce and i do some paintings that i mean we all make pictures that are stinkers um but i'm trying you know i'm i'm i like to experiment i like to play i like uh i don't want to live up i don't want to paint out of a box even though to a stranger it might look like that i am i don't think that i am and i'm actively trying to not do that
0: You've managed to uh, maintain the integrity of your authenticity, so to speak. Um, has that ever been a struggle for you? Like, do, are you aware of any points in your life where that has been, uh, yeah, a, an active effort that you've had to make to kind of reacquaint yourself with, like, well, what is really important to me?
1: Tons of commercial work. <laughs> Why am I doing this? I could be doing something else. Um, lots, of kind, lots of styles of tattoos. Um, I'm gonna do my best with this style, but I'm either disinterested or I'm not as good as the next guy at it and it's frustrating or, you know, tattooing is a different thing. The client's not sitting well, they have bad ideas. Like the gamut of that is fucking frustrating. Um, it's a commercial job and I think illustrations kind of prepared me for that. Um, but as a, as a fine artist, no, I've no, uh, I have more ideas and images than time.
0: That's, that's impressive. I w- wonder what that is, or I, I'm, I would love to be inside your brain for five minutes to try and find show you, the show you part of it. Yeah.
1: That's part of it.
0: Okay, (laughs) I have that influence for for people listening. What are we looking at?
1: Uh, We're looking at hundreds of art books, (laughs) and so I have a a pretty massive art library. And I look at that more than I look at Instagram for inspiration. Um, And I, you know, I have a broad range of tastes and interest in, I'm mostly looking at painting, a little bit of photography, but I'm mostly looking at painting. And we're all influenced Um, and I'm totally fine with that. And my influences help keep me on task and keep me motivated to push myself. And it's also seeing, I mean, with social media, but I, you know, I have enough friends that I interact with in person um, that are pushing their crafts that inspire me and keep me on task, you know? It really to, huge.
2: Um, on that mark, uh, I was curious, have you ever uh, ventured into Twitch at all?
1: I don't know what Twitch is.
2: Okay, <laughs> so uh, we are streaming live on Twitch, and they have... Uh, <laughs> an artist community where it's basically you watch people work and they talk to you while they're working. And then, so it ends up being that, uh, the the viewers working on art and the, uh, streamer is also working on art. Okay. Matter of, uh, networking and making friends that way while you're also, uh, working.
1: Nice.
0: It's another community.
2: That platform it's so it's one of the more pleasant areas of social media. It, uh, this is a weird pitch i'm making i don't know why, but uh it, it there isn't very many trolls in this area. Okay. um That's so cool. it's it's pretty it's a very positive and supportive community overall. nice.
0: it's it serves well for um people who who might not have access uh to supportive communities in their immediate vicinity you know and oh, and it can perfect. it can play that role and offer that support in a really powerful way even though it's not you know quote real life
1: it's not uh, tactile
0: it's not tactile yeah it's not like an in person relationship there's still that element of community and all of the gratification that 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 goes with that and and it's yeah i always Uh, It's worth mentioning (laughs) just in case anybody, you know, listening, you know, is in, you know, similar to your case, hasn't heard of it, you know, but is uh, curious to know. I'm
1: sure friends have talked about it, but I don't pay Mm -hmm. attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So going back to your collection of books. Uh, I, I wish everybody could could see it. I almost want you to send me a picture yeah, of that incl to include in the show notes because it's what, such it's an one, Im-
1: one one of three libraries.
0: Oh my god, really? One of three? Damn. Yeah. Okay, so That's where
1: all my money goes.
0: One thing that I that I always kind of confront when looking at uh, at other people's artwork, you know, for inspiration, there's also this tendency. Or temptation to compare, you know, and you say to yourself maybe like, oh, like, why can't I make work like that? Or uh, maybe there's a temptation to try and like imitate maybe a little too much. Do you ever wrestle with that? Or is it just the sheer volume of input that you're putting into your brain <laughs> eliminates that possibility where you're going to try and lean too heavily on one thing?
1: Uh, I think subject is... Paramount, I think, as long as your subject is true to you and your subject is from your personal perspective, stylistically, who gives a shit? Mm. Like, you know, like you're going to bring your point of view to the world if it's your point of view. If you're copying something just to copy it, say that's what it is. Um, I've done handful of paintings that have been inspired by artists of the past that are no longer with us. And I, in the title, like, you know, this is Vanitas after Pieter Claus, like, it's an obvious homage to that artist. If you look at their painting and my painting, you can see a similar composition, but the elements are related to tattooing as an example um i think it's subject i think most artists struggle with point of view and that's what makes your work unique in yours it's like what do you have to say what it's what you have and how you do it i mean if it's super crude or hyper real like that's on you
0: Has the tattoo community and tattooing uh, has that always been a source of inspiration for you?
1: Um, not until mid two thousand. Yeah, it didn't happen until honestly. I so I was in Florida, and I did some paintings of friends and myself. You know, uh, kind of loose, brushy paintings of tattooed limbs and torsos, and at that time. I was, I had went to New York and seen the work of Jenny Savile in person. Um, obviously it had been uh, inspired by her work before I'd seen it in person, but seeing it in person floored me. And um, it gave me kind of a push to think of the tattooed body uh, in a way that's not just representational. Um, So it started there, and then I visited San Francisco with the idea of moving there, and went into some specific tattoo shops and photographed a couple of tattooers who I didn't know were strangers, and they were awesome uh, and welcoming, and made some paintings of them, and then I moved there, and I had a studio above the gallery that I worked with. And I shared a studio with Henry Lewis, and he, you know, he was really the. <sighs> you know Henry, uh, you know mm-hmm. his work ethic, and you know his um, broad range of skill set, and his unique perspective on the world. <laughs> um,
0: That's the way to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's a fucking animal. Like he. Can, <laughs> he can do anything he's a phenomenal artist um who's unafraid to do and having that as a studio mate you know a through the studio tons of artists would go through so I met all different kinds of tattooers illustrators painters you name it um so there was a huge sense of community but sharing a studio with him painting tattooed individuals He's like, why aren't you tattooing? Um, at the time, he was working at Everlasting with Mike Davis, and he asked Mike, would you apprentice this guy? And it started there.
0: So him asking you, why aren't you tattooing? Your response was, uh, what?
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I was teaching. I taught at CCA at the time. I was teaching at the Academy of Art. I was still doing commercial illustration. I was painting. So I had a few jobs, uh, and I was married in a relationship that was falling apart. Um, I want to add tattooing to this. You know, oh, I was yeah. getting tattooed, but it's—I was 35 years old when I started. I'm 50 now. Um, to 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 jump into a new career and to know the quality of what's happening in a city that's a tattoo Mecca and you want to dip your toes into this? Sure, I'm a, uh, I am have certain skills as a painter who, who draws things, but I don't really know anything about tattooing. <laughs> um, it was super intimidating, you know, and I quit teaching. I weaned away commercial work and slowly, slowly dedicated more time to tattooing, but I was also traveling lots of tattoo conventions, lots of painting workshops like it was a it was a mindfuck for a while man like tr- doing tattoos that i knew weren't what they could be and trying to maintain a, a life and keep it all together was not easy.
0: So was the transition like between you know Henry bringing it up as as a possibility and you actually starting an apprenticeship was that a pretty tight gap or was there some lag was there it was some pretty, time lag
1: pretty quick yeah it was pretty quick
0: what was that apprenticeship like my i mean getting apprenticed by mike davis that's pretty fucking awesome but i'm sure he's also yeah. like oh my god i'm apprenticing sean barber like what the nah, hell <laughs>
1: no nah, you know it was honestly i think with most in that situation i think a lot of shops of that caliber you're learning from the whole and everybody there wanted to help me, you know, Uh, Mike showed me more than I think a lot of teachers show their students, you know, at a time where a lot of these things don't, aren't tangible, you know, how do you make needles? How do you, you know, how do you do certain things that we don't even do anymore, but you need to learn these skill sets because of the history of the craft, Um, which I did Um, in a, you know, in a very simple way, you know, I can make a needle that will make a tattoo, but it's not gonna be a good needle, you know?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. When you were starting to learn so those 15 years ago. I'm trying to remember like when like pre-made needles started to become the thing. Like I know like Kingpin had them for a long time, but everybody was kind of like, "Ah, these are sort of garbage. Like the consistency was really irregular, you know. It was quite a while before it seemed like it was okay, we can definitely buy these without any kind of like hang-ups or whatever.
1: There was nobody in the shop making their own needles." Oh, really? This is 2004. Five two 2006 nobody was okay. making meals, but they had all the equipment you know and it was cool to learn it and it was you know it's something that i'm glad that mike taught me and and i have a lot of respect for the craft and i have a lot of respect for mike and i you know i i want to know these things not that i'm going to use them but it's nice to know them
0: mm-hmm yeah, the the tattoo apprenticeship is something that uh, we talked about with uh, Shane Swenson, who was a guest a, a few weeks ago, and uh, this idea of tattooing being sort of like one of the last professions um, that has like a true apprenticeship um, learning process, you know, that's it's and sort of unique from any other one that that I'm aware of where even uh, you know electricians or plumbers that, that still have something they call an apprenticeship, it's more like a paid internship or whatever. Yeah. And tattooing has maintained that. Uh, and I asked Shane this question, but I'd be curious to hear your take on it too. Like, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think tattooing still maintains that um, level or, of importance on the apprenticeship?
1: Uh, I think there's something about handing, handing this knowledge down. I think there's something about, obviously anybody can learn to tattoo from a YouTube video and buying supplies off the internet. Um, you're never going to really, I mean, you can learn a lot of things online. Um, I think with an apprenticeship, you're getting so much density of knowledge and experience. There's no other way to get that amount of experience other than to go through that route. And I, I think there's, there's a, there's something to be said about customer service and how, how a shop works and how to deal with clients and how to run a business like at some point all tattooers leave and especially now most tattooers go and open up a private studio um i don't know i think it's we're all independent contractors and we're all figuring stuff out but to learn that in a setting that has massive experience you can't get that anywhere else why would you not want that like it's a it's a gift to to get that and um you're going to be better off because of it without a doubt it can be
0: hard to make that argument in the the age of instant gratification i think is the, the sure, only thing sure sure
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I started as a 35 year old man, so I had a lot of respect for my peers and I wasn't a 18, 25 year old kid who thinks that he's a fucking hot new shit. You know,
0: how long into uh, your tattooing profession did you decide that you wanted to open up your own tattoo shop? What inspired that?
1: Um, That was never, never something that I considered. It wasn't something that I wanted to do or thought to do. Um, I met a a lady who's a tattooer. (laughs) She's been tattooing now 30 years. Um, So when we met, she'd been tattooing 16 years maybe. Um, And she had done a TV show out here um, and wasn't doing that anymore. And before she lived here, she was in Chicago and had a, her own shop. Uh, and she wanted to open up her own shop again. So when we started dating, I moved down here and we opened up a studio together, but it wouldn't happen without her. She, I mean, it's, it looks like my gallery, but it's her business, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like she's the glue. I'm just the caretaker. Um, you know,
0: What was you? Sorry, sorry, you were the what?
1: I'm the partner.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, what? What was your resistance to it beforehand, and how does your experience compare to your resistance?
1: Uh, as a painter, why would I want to own a tattoo shop? (laughs) Um, you know, I'm I'm until recently I've never really been a full time tattooist um I've always split my time um this last month is busiest month I've had as a tattooer since I started um and that's partially my choice because I'm trying to respond to people quicker and to schedule things more immediately and I'm seeing the progress in my tattoos because of it um but I you know like I have a lot going on. Why the hell would I want to own a shop? I mean, I, I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, a lot it's, a, it's a lot of work, and it's an it's an amazing it's an amazing place, and I love it, and it's a special place, and you know, I would, I would like spending my time there, um, but I don't need it. I need a place to make t- to make paintings and somewhere to tattoo and, and fortunately we have a beautiful, beautiful space to do it in that I can walk to in a city where nobody walks.
0: Now that this idea of not being a full time tattoo artist is, is interesting because one of the, the questions that I was going to ask you, uh, money and finances being a, a big part of this, uh, this podcast, uh, I was curious to know how tattooing compares for you to the other fields of art that that you that you've worked in
1: um well i think i get paid more as a tattooer than i do as a painter by the hour i mean i charge by the hour most everybody i know charges by the hour um we don't get we don't charge for drawing time we don't charge for um at least i don't i don't take deposits i don't Um, I charge for working hours, Um, but it's a decent living. Um, And I make a tattoo and I get paid right then. So it's awesome. It's a job.
2: What about uh, education? You mentioned that you do some teaching and my experience understanding that unlike, uh, you know, public sector education, uh, being a private tutor or Uh, having your own personal classes uh is better income in many cases than actually making the art has has that in your experience
1: yeah when I was teaching in in uh art schools the pay was not that great um for for a year I was a full-time instructor in Florida and I got health benefits and that was nice but the pay was you know lowest end of the rung um and as a private instructor, I make more money, but I'm also not doing that often. Most of my teaching now is workshops on the road at tattoo conventions, or tattoo shops, or, you know, I mean, it hasn't happened in a while, but things like uh, Massive Blacks, concept.art.org, workshops, those kind of things, Um, and sometimes some private teaching, but um, what's great about teaching is it's, because it's not a full time gig, and it's something that I do infrequently. It's a nice break, and it's nice to share this information with folks. Um, when we have guest artists visit, sometimes we'll do, you know, I'll do a painting demo and we'll all kind of paint the same thing. Like, that's always fun. I mean, I'm not charging people for that, but uh, it's still practicing the act of sharing information, and I enjoy doing that. Um, I feel like I can help anybody break their fears of making a picture they can be happy with. Um, you know, I have a lot, lot to offer, and and I'm good at watching, listening, and um, giving feedback, especially if you need it. If you don't need it, I might not say anything.
0: <laughs> that's that's an interesting way to put it. What you just said, you. you are pretty sure that you can break people's fear of making something, how did you put it, that's nice to look at or?
1: That they're happy with.
0: That they're happy with. Yeah. Is that because
1: I think, I, think, I think if you don't have much practice as an oil painter, painter in general, but you've drawn a bit, there's a fear. A lot of tattooers too, there's a fear of, well, I don't want this to look like shit because I have a, a standard. And I, I don't believe I can meet that standard because this is foreign to me. Um, but most art is drawing. Most, you know, two-dimensional art is, is, it's just drawing skills. And I think at least what I'm showing, it's painting, but you're drawing with paint. And um, it's just talking it through and showing examples and, physically working on somebody's picture with them and telling them and showing them the what and the why, uh, and helping them break through uncertainties through that process. Um, it works.
0: So is it like, it's like an equal mix of um, mental game with like actual technical ability.
1: Sure. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
0: Interesting. I wouldn't yeah. say that. What's that?
1: I didn't say that though.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because. No,
1: don't, don't
0: nah, your secret is is safe. We'll edit this part out. I promise. <laughs> uh, that most tattoo artists, uh, whether they start out as one or not, I think invariably become perfectionists, <laughs> and so that sure, sure. that idea of not wanting it to look like shit um, can yeah. weigh really. Heavy, it's it's definitely something that I confront with uh traditional art. I feel very comfortable with pen and ink and pencil and stuff like that. But man, oil painting, done it before. But you know, I look at some of these things, or I have like ideas, or I would like to maybe try to do this, and I'm just totally like mm, the learning curve for that is a is a is a big put off.
1: You just got to do it, man. Yeah. We had a friend, uh, he did a guest spot here a couple months ago. He's a, um, uh, is he Brazilian, where the hell is he from? He is in Mexico. Uh, his name's Topo uh, and he does his own style of tattooing. Um, um, he does, his, his tattoos are, are, that are tattoos on the body. Um, he's doing his own thing. It is not realism at all. It's more like abstract cartoony. uh, um, It's an artist's work. He's not making tattoos that a client is asking him to make. He's making his drawings and tattooing them on people. He's got his style and it's the furthest thing away from realism. (laughs) Um, Interesting. But he, he did a, a week with us and uh, a new coworker of us wanted to get a painting demo and Topo jumped in and he's hadn't really oil painted much. He's painted, but not in a realistic style. And he fucking killed it. You know, and it's because he was open to doing it. I think that's part of it. It's it's not poo-pooing your your abilities and 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 being fearful of what you don't know—it's just being like, "All right, let's try it." And he had that attitude, and he fucking crushed it, you know. A lot of it's attitude.
0: All right, man, you convinced me. I'm coming. You can do it. I'm coming down, dude. I you have it's, the technology. Put, uh, <laughs> I want you to. I want you, you to prove it to me.
1: Do it. Yeah. <laughs> do it? Yeah.
0: Um. Well, the thing going back to tattooing full time. Is it this idea, you know, that you I kinda get the correct me if I'm wrong, I but I get the sense that you, you consider yourself a painter that yes. does these other things. Correct. Yeah, and so then that's what kind of keeps you from doing the, the, the tattooing uh full time. But there's a there's a paycheck there. Now um You said that you still do like commission work, or you still do commercial illustration as well, like if the gig Um, comes your way.
1: Yep, I do. Now, and I take commit. I you know I do a handful of commissions. So right now that's what I'm doing. Private commissions.
0: Yeah, money for art um, is a burden. I think a lot of times self inflicted that artists have to deal with at some point. Have you ever had to? wrestle with that
1: yeah all the time yeah i mean a lot of commercial jobs that's the case there's the deadline there's a subject matter and then there's the the art director's uh thumbprint you know um which it's the same thing with tattooing it's finding a balance in the mix of all the, the the extremes of that you know if if the deadline's shorter or crazier, that's an extreme. If the asks and the changes are extreme, it's, uh, it's stressful. Uh, if you're making something more along the lines of what you love to do, it's amazing. It's, it's always different.
0: But I, in your own in your personal work and the stuff that you love to do, have you ever felt like, your soul is at risk. I don't mean to sound that like overly melodramatic, but I, that's the sense that I get from some artists who have to wrestle with this idea of getting paid for their art and that there's like some kind of intrinsic evil in making money, doing something that is soulful, creative in the way that like, this is coming from my heart. This is coming from inside me. And then I have to, you know, turn it into a buck
1: um you know I paint mostly what I want to paint so I'd say no there are you know there are lots of cases for myself where I've done shows like bodies like an exhibition where I have 10 to 15 images that I want to make paintings of and there's specific individuals that I want to make paintings of for this exhibition And the reference I have of them is garbage. But it's more important that I do a painting of this individual to be part of this body of work for the cohesiveness of this like thing. And it, it happens nearly every exhibition where there's one or two paintings that aren't what I want them to be, but I have to put them in the show because it's about the subject matter and the way that I did it, A, it could be better, but I gotta get over myself. It's about it's about the subject, if that makes sense. Like it's the individual is more important than me and the way I did it. So I just need to fucking get over myself and and show it whether I'm embarrassed by the picture or not. And I've had times where I've had close friends be like, yeah, it's cool, but I don't think it looks like that. Like, God damn it. you. Know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not going to uh, um, try to defend myself or apologize for it. It's just what it is. And next time I'll do a better job. I hope, you know, like I yeah. can't, I, I have to move forward. I, I have a mindset where I have to move forward because there is no reason to waste energy thinking about what wasn't done.
0: Well, that that makes sense, but it's a little frustrating because I'm trying to. Uh, well, you're not letting me make the argument that money will taint the experience and the purity of the process, and I don't understand why you're being so difficult, Sean.
1: Well, for me, what? for me, paintings don't have to be for sale. Uh huh. Like they are for sale, but I'm okay uh, if they don't sell whatever. It's not what I'm driven by when I make any of these pictures. I'm not making paintings for commerce at all. I'm making paintings for commerce when somebody hires me to do a family portrait. I'm making paintings for commerce when somebody hires me for a commercial job. I'm making tattoos for commerce when somebody hires me to do anything other than do whatever the hell you want. So, because I do so much of that when I'm painting, most of the time I really am painting whatever I want. So it's not sucking my soul; it's feeding my soul.
0: Yeah, it's uh, in seriousness. I was obviously I was joking before, but you know, it's something (laughs) that. Well, I I feel bad for artists that have that kind of that have that, uh, hang up. Um, and like I said, it's oftentimes, it seems like it's self inflicted or they're adopting it from their environment, you know, in, in some way, uh, influences that they l- listen to and internalize or telling them yeah. that the art, there needs to be some kind of like purity and the second, that commercialization marketing, Or business starts getting involved then the then then the product the subject is going to suffer you stand Um, in you stand in counterpoint to that and that's fucking awesome what would you tell somebody that is wrestling with those things that i just said
1: i think every artist has to make a living in some way and if you don't want to sell your soul and you don't want to do anything that you don't wanna do, get a job doing something else and paint as a hobby. I think that's it. Or figure out a job that you can do that will enhance your skill sets as a fine artist. So you can make the kind of pictures you wanna make and you can also feed your family. Um, I think nearly everyone in the world has to work. And we have bills, and we have rent, and we have to pay for food, and all the things. Um, the ego is is ego is a mind killer, and the ego is one that will stop us from taking a job at Starbucks or taking a job. Sorry, I used that company, but <laughs> taking taking a job at, that doesn't relate to your art. Like, it's okay doing something in the service to others. It's okay doing something to support yourself and or your family. Like, you don't have to apologize for that. Um, I think the struggle, if those are the cases and, you know, you have a bigger overhead or a bigger family, the struggle is time management. And most people are fucking horrible at time management. And it's figuring out how to carve out a niche every day to do that thing that you love to do. And equally, having a partner or a spouse or roommate, whatever, who understands that A, you need that time, but B, you need that space. Whether that space is a corner in a room or a room by itself or a garage, whatever it is. But like, hey man, I need an hour, three hours a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever it is to just go into my fucking hobbit hole and make these little pictures, whether anybody sees them or not. And I have to do it and that's what it takes. And I think, you know, if you can tune out all the exterior noise, that's when you can just be, and you can not worry about your soul being sucked and you can just be creative. Um, I don't know.
0: I'm so glad that you said uh, that you mentioned uh, <laughs> this is now a Lord of the Rings podcast, <laughs> uh, which is your favorite movie. Um, the uh, time management you 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 brought, you mentioned the concept of time management, uh, which is great because anytime we talk to somebody that has this much going on, that is spinning this many plates, as you put it um I'm always curious, like how do you get it all done? Yeah. Uh, and, and it also seems like there's a lot of um, flexibility in terms of how much space any one of these projects is taking up in your mental uh, uh, geography. So yeah. what does your, what does your map look like? What does your mental map of these things look like in terms of deciding uh, how much to allocate, to which project?
1: Sometimes it's how I'm feeling. Sometimes it's by deadline. Um, but I think for me, the, the main strength of what I do is I have a partner that understands and she gives me the space that I need to do what I need to do. Um, it doesn't get on my ass when I need to paint every night for fucking eight hours a night after work, whatever it is. You know, like she gets it. Uh, and I think a lot of partners don't necessarily understand that because either they're not, they're not creative or who knows what the reasons are. You know, I, I don't, there's all the reasons. Um, and it's, it comes down to your life. Like what is important to you in your life? If you're, what's important to you is spending every waking moment with your family. Awesome. Don't apologize for that. That's what it is. Like, you got to do what makes yourself happy. Um, it's just, fun. I think it's finding a balance. Um, for me, this is one, this is, these are the things. I showed you this. This is my list of paintings I've made in 24 years. So I have, I'm an organized human. That's how I stay on task. I have... List of what I'm working on right now. There are. I'm working on 15 paintings. No. Yeah, 15 paintings, and I kind of have the percentages of <laughs> how far they are complete, <laughs> uh, and down to you know I'm a list maker. Everything's got a fucking list. Down to if I'm working on specific piece, let's see if I can find it. I make a lot of lists.
0: I love that this is all analog, too. You, you haven't gone I mean, digital.
1: It's what works for me. OK. So here's a painting I'm working on. There's a composition. Every little part of the painting, I give a, a notation, like, all right, this is his head. What's the percentage of that being done? <laughs> What's the percentage of the background? What's the percent of that little still life in the painting? And then I can just, t- in a night, focus on an area if that's what I'm feeling, if I feel like I need to get that part tackled a little more so. Um, for me, it's really is being a list maker. Otherwise, I'll, I'll lose it. Like, I don't have the best memory. I, you know, I don't, got a lot going on. So it, it keeps it, it keeps me tied into and tuned into what I'm doing um also making notes for you know i know friends that do this uh jason condell does this a lot he's got a book like a little notebook that just has he does a lot of large-scale work on clients that he sees for four years in a row to finish a back piece what are the colors i'm using for this tattoo what are the needle groupings i'm using for this tattoo if a lot of my tattoos like bigger projects in progress, I print them out and I do color studies on the printout and I draw over those and I give myself notes. And then the next, usually the the night of, or the next day of that appointment. Um, and then when I see that person again, I have those notations. So I know what I was going to do already. So I try to prepare myself to be productive and to be efficient. Like, I feel like I've, I've learned how to just be Efficient, and I, I think working in that factory helped. You know, I worked in an amenities factory. I stood at a um, assembly line. We they manufactured uh, perfume, uh, lotion, shampoo, uh, little packets that you would get in like magazines and hotels tubes and shit like that you stand at assembly line count these things squeeze them make sure there's no you know nothing wrong with them put them in a box for eight hours a day i did that for a year and then moved to a machine operator but uh, that monotony of doing the same thing over and over and over again and trying to figure out how to get through it the monotony because a lot of things are monotonous You know, I'm painting stuff mostly in a realistic manner and I can make a painting look finished a lot of times in one session. And then the challenge for me is like, fuck, now I got to really paint this thing because I disillusioned myself in thinking that I have all this power and energy and made this cool thing in a day but it's nowhere near what I want it to be. So now I'm not going to spend six months <laughs> repainting it over and over and over and over again until I can get the surface that I'm looking for until I can get the mood that I'm looking for until I can get the likeness that I'm looking for until I can get the kind of mark make- making that I'm looking for. Like all of those things come through layers and days and days and days of doing the same fucking thing and for me working on multiple paintings that and tattooing and you know i i have hobbies <laughs> i go and ride my bike here and there uh, you know i have friends i go see friends i don't i don't live in a hobbit hole you know <laughs> i have a life <laughs> it's a balance it's time management and i'm fucking i'm okay at it you know
0: I, so I'm- Go ahead. Real
2: quick. um, What I hear often is people have a much uh, more difficult time finishing a painting than they do starting a new one. Yeah. And is you're having multiple paintings going on concurrently, your way to address that without fully abandoning the project after it's been started and you lose interest in it?
1: Uh, It's by doing those little thumbnail sketches and kind of seeing what's done in what areas. And a lot of it is also, um, I abandon things for sure, Um, but it's doing all the things that we do to fool our mind into looking at an image differently, Um, painting or looking at the painting backwards in the mirror. Uh, I'm photographing with my phone, stuff in progress constantly. And then just looking at the phone to see what stands out in terms of contrast or detail or focal point. Um, So I'm constantly doing that Um, because I'm mostly working from reference. um, I'm at times painting my pictures sideways, upside down, um, all those things, you know, Um, taking chances and using mediums that don't dry immediately and covering an area that's totally rendered just to see how it looks like taking those chances and, and experimenting, knowing that at the end of the day I might wash this whole thing off, but at least I tried it. Um, I, you know, my personality is to play. So I'm trying to play and I'm trying to not only get it done, but like learn something and, and, I don't know. Every picture is different.
0: That wasn't an exaggeration when you said like six months to work or rework and play around with a, with a painting
1: sometimes three years.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I'm working on a piece at the shop right now. That's uh, like mm-hmm. 10 foot by mm-hmm. six foot. Uh, and it's two and a half years in the, in the mix, but actual working time is probably two or 300 hours.
0: Uh, all of the uh, are all of the artists that I know that are trying to finish digital paintings in like six hours are gonna feel personally attacked by that. I just want you to know that you just made a lot of people feel real bad. That's a... mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that's it's a, it's awesome that there's that much dedication to it and that you have that patience. Um, I most of the circles that I'm in, people are trying to finish paintings very quickly. Uh, yeah. and if it's taking longer than six to 12 hours, well, that's a, that's a really long pain. You know, putting 40 hours into something is like, wow, that's, you really put some time into it. You're talking about two years. Um, when you spend two years on something, how do you know when it's done? When are you like, okay, this is they're Okay.
1: Okay. Nothing's ever done. I think, I mean, it's been said before, paintings are never finished, they're abandoned. And I think having a deadline in a venue and an application, like for me, an art show is, that's when it's done. It's like, all right, here's an exhibition. And that's where the pandemic's kind of frustrating because we had an exhibition planned for June twenty, June 2020. It's been pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, I need to get these things fucking out of here because I want to start new things, but because I've had all this time, I'm actually spending more time on things and I'm seeing the results. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but I want to move forward. Um, I have a handful of paintings that, you know, I produce a lot, but I also move a lot. I sell a lot of work. I trade work. I gift work. Um, I have a handful of pictures that are either at home or the shop where, you know what? I might take this off the wall and work on it a little bit more. (laughs) I do that. Why not?
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, this is a great conversation to be having uh, as a predominantly a digital artist myself, um, you know, even though I, I have been tattooing for years, I, I have, I have saturated myself, w- uh, you know, in, in digital art a lot recently. And, um, it can, well, even in tattooing, there's a, you know, a, a good bit of pressure, pressure sometimes to, you know, get it done in a yeah. timely manner and whatnot, you know? So, um, I will probably come back and listen to this recording, you know, this part of this recording a few times, like just to meditate on taking two years <laughs> to work on a painting. It, there's, there's a lot,
1: There's a lot of people that do that though.
0: I know. I totally, I'm not, I'm not singling you out in seriousness. I'm not singling you out as like, wow, Sean, you're some kind of like freakish machine. Um, it's just not something that like I encounter a lot, but there's a lot to, I think that that, idea has to offer uh you know for people that are in, that are in spaces where things have to get done you know so yeah so fast um
2: have you guys ever watched the documentary tim's vermeer yep so that guy spent i think it was like 10 to 18 years uh doing the remaster of sorts at the rep, rep, replicate i guess is the replication of the process so it's not unheard of, but again, that guy also was an inventor, not an artist, so to speak. Like, that was his first time holding a paintbrush when he was doing that, uh, that painting. Yeah, you got to start somewhere.
0: <laughs> so this is something that I thought that I would ask her earlier on. Um, but we circled out from it fast enough, which is great. But I do want to come back to it. Um, <clears throat> this idea where you've you've found Success uh, in a variety of art fields, and it's all art related, but um, they they are they are quite different. Commercial illustration, fine art, tattooing. We talked a little bit about the teaching that you've done. Um, what. It, it, It's a, it was hard for me to think of a way to ask this question. So I'm kind of trying to like, kind of figure it out as I'm asking it, even though I sort of wrote down a note for myself. Um, What is it that you think that you have that has played a common denominator in your efforts in each one of those fields that has allowed you to achieve a modicum of success in each one of those? Does that question make sense?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a belief in myself that, if I maintain the line, things will work out. As simple as that. I think it's just. I don't think I'm anything special. I don't think what I'm doing. Technically, is you know, mind blowing or groundbreaking. Um, I think I was fortunate to stumble fortunate enough to stumble into a community that's unbelievable. And uh, I've, you know, stumbled into a craft of documenting uh, a community um, through however I'm doing it. And I owe it to the people who have already given me their time and energy to maintain that. And like, every day I wake up enthusiastic. Um, Sure, there's days when um, things aren't going well, or, you know, I'm not making money or a job falls through or a client cancels or, you know, it's just a bad day tattooing or whatever it is. Um, But I, I believe in myself. You know, I have so I know so many people around me who second guess themselves on too many things and I will not allow myself to do that. It's not that it's not there. I just don't allow it to happen. Because what's the point in, there's no point in doing that. It's only going to add negativity to positivity. It's attitude. And I don't, you know, I know so many people use fucking PMA as a moniker. I've never used that, even though I just said it. Um, <laughs> but that's what I have.
0: Why do you have it? How, how have you cultivated it? Um, I um,
1: I don't know why I have it.
0: Uh, well, what is that conversation like? You know, when you you sort of like you feel the negativity cropping up or the self-doubt. Uh, or the procrastination or whatever it may be
1: sometimes it's okay you know what I also I smoke weed and I can fucking be a vegetable and I can hang out and do nothing and sometimes that's okay sometimes you know what I'm not going to do anything for a week but there's a point when you need to pick your ass up and get back to it like we're all human and it's fine Um, I don't know why
0: well, do you ever have you to tell no, I, I, I can give ahead.
1: you some why I think oh man I'm gonna grab something
0: Yeah yeah I'm uh,
1: gonna find it Sorry I'm slowing it down.
0: No, that's no worries man this I, I can always snip a little bit.
1: okay I don't have the book up here there's a there's a guru. His name's Krishnamurti. He's got a book called The First and Last Freedom. And I worked at a bookstore in Southern California in, shit, what year was this? 2000, around 2000. And they were giving, it was Borders Books and Music. And I was in the Eastern Religion section, which I knew nothing about. And I wasn't interested in it at all. Um, but I picked up this book, Krishnamurti's a first and last freedom. And it opened my mind up to questioning everything and believing nothing. And knowing that there's no answers to anything, just more questions and something about it just clicked with me. And it, it, it changed my mindset. Um, this is, this is the guy. Um, I this, is def- a book. this is one of the books. But re- reading and over-reading his philosophy really expanded my, my mind. It was huge.
0: This is fascinating. So you can identify that as a specific moment in your life where you w- w- found tools that were immediately yeah. applicable to combating yep. negative self-talk, self-doubt, all those things that we have to wrestle with as artists. Yep.
1: Okay. And it's not a book. It's a philosophy book.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that this that's definitely going in the show notes. I'm going to download it from Audible <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> immediately it, after this podcast. At
1: the, at, the, at the time, I had to reread it and reread it and reread it to understand it because it's very repetitive Hmm. from what i remember i mean i haven't read it much since but at the time it really really influenced me um you know like a lot of individuals i know i in my 20s i did a lot of psychedelic drugs um which i haven't done in years but that kind of opened my mind up to questioning things and and not believing things um but also being okay, being, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's part of it. Um, I don't know.
2: Was that, uh, just to get into the nitty gritty, was that uh, a psilocybin that you're talking about or, or are you talking about more LSD type thing?
1: Both. More what? LSD. Yeah. More LSD. Which I, I haven't done in 20 years out of fear.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It can, the long-term effects of psilocybin seem more t- towards the positive end of spectrum. Whereas LSD might be good enjoyable inter, interest interesting uh my understanding this is someone who hasn't done either one yeah. but just studied them uh they'll see my more interesting in the short term
1: yeah
0: well that that idea of uh questioning everything and not believing um that's it's interesting when applied to our own selves because <laughs> that's i mean that's a, a skepticism uh is something that you know people are very familiar with but turning that on themselves in terms of like well you know all of these things that i say about myself or that i believe about myself those should be up to questioning as much as anything else right that's kind of i don't know totally that's interesting
1: totally. you know i've i've also had some great um partners in my life like my girlfriend is very rational. She's got her shit together, you know, and she supports me. You know, I think that's paramount. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would be a little, not now, but in my past, I've been more reckless, you know, and just looser uh, in how I live my life. I've, you know, having a, a stable partner has helped me Maintain the course, you know, and to have some kind of accountability for my actions um, for better, for worse, you know yeah it's all it's actually all been for the better, hasn't been for the worse
0: Well, that's a huge one, man uh, I'm gonna take a lot of time with that um for for you though I'm wondering you know all of the things that you've done up until now. Uh, Is there something that you are looking forward to in the future? Something that you haven't done yet that you want to?
1: Um, you know, I started, uh, traveling more and spending time with tattooers in their own environments. Um, and I'm seeing significant evolution in the subject and context of the kind of pictures I can make and the, personal experience is so gratifying that I want to continue to do that you know I was on a slow path of of you know pushing that further and pandemic happened and um I'm starting to get back into it though I went to uh I drove to San Francisco a couple months ago and drove up to Sonoma County and photographed Shotzi Gorman spent mm-hmm. the day with him that was cool um so I'm starting a big piece on him I'm It's hiding, but I'm more than halfway through that. Um, it's, It's that, it's traveling and getting to know artists in their environments and their families and their situations. And it's just, it's so much more fun and more interesting and gratifying.
0: Well. I look forward to seeing all of the new work that you're uh, going to be coming out with, um, for people listening after the fact, uh, where would you like people to go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing?
1: Um, my website has everything. Um, www.sdbarber.com. Um, I post some, a little bit of in progress of what I'm working on on Instagram which is Sean D. Barber. Um, And then our shop website, uh, I I update it here and there with tattoos. It's memoirtattoo.com.
0: Well, um, I only have, uh, Moose, do you have any follow-up questions? Anything you haven't gotten to yet? Uh, We only have one more question. It's sort of our trademark final question. um, Outside of personal projects and work, What's one thing in the world that's happening right now that you're excited about?
1: Um, I'm excited to see f- creative friends um, take the take the pandemic and thrive in spite of it. Um, I think we know so many creative folks who have put put their feet in the ground and have um, just really dug in and 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 stayed authentic and and have helped support the communities around them and and you know i think it's a great even though it seems like a fucking weird and horrible time i think it's a great time to see how people deal with chaos and um that's inspiring
0: that's awesome man um sean thank you so much for hey, your time this has been a, a really great conversation man i Thank you. appreciate it so much i uh, would love to chat with you again sometime in the future if you were up to it i feel like there's a lot that, that we barely scratched the surface on we could dig into more anytime right on man well cool well i'm gonna wave goodbye to you for the sake of the recording
1: Yo. <laughs>